They're here. We watched Poltergeist. We are the film fellas. We watch random movies that you love, hate, or have never heard of, and then we talk about them. I'm Greg, and I ain't afraid of no ghost. I'm Nick, and I broke my leg once. I'm Caleb, and the real best ride at Disneyland were the lines we waited in along the way. I'm Robbie, and this is my second favorite movie that I bought like four times because I kept breaking the DVD. <laughs> Let's get into it! <laughs> Like I said, we are the film fellas. This week we watched Poltergeist. This was Robbie's pick. Robbie, tell us a little bit about this movie. So yeah, this is Poltergeist. Uh, it was made in 1982, directed by Toby Hooper, and also direct or, and written and produced by Steven Spielberg. It was it was nominated for a bunch of awards that year. It didn't really get any of the major ones, but it is a major kind of lost show to ET also made classic. by Steven Spielberg. <laughs> yes, it did, which came out just a couple <laughs> weeks after. Yep. <laughs> uh, but it is a cult classic. Uh, a lot of people really like it, and they made a slew of horrible, horrible sequels for it. So that tells you it was a good classic to begin. With. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right, passing on to you, Nick. Nick, let's start. Yeah, let's start with you for a one-sentence summary. Go ahead. And my one-sentence summary is: What happens when you half-ass real estate? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. Very nice. <laughs> Two thousand eight. Caleb, mm-hmm. let's have you go next. <laughs> All right. A family has a creepy clown in the nursery facing the kids' beds, and they get what they deserve. They had it was it really their fault for buying the clown. Yeah, yeah. That, that clown was a mistake. <laughs> this is not the fifties. This is nineteen eighty-two. They knew what they were doing. <laughs> uh, I'll go next. My one sentence summary is: You only moved the headstones. That <laughs> <laughs> is like the perfect summary. It really yeah. says mm-hmm. everything that you need to know. Robbie, what do you got? All right, so it's Poltergeist, a suburban family having a beautiful life, decide to go Ghostbusters on their house. Chaos ensues. That's right. Yep. Straight <laughs> forward to the point. <laughs> but we like All right, let's see. get into our synopsis. Our Spoilers ahead, synopsis. people. For a and epilepsy Oh, yes, that too. <laughs> yeah. For, for a movie that came out a half a century ago, almost. Uh, spoilers ahead. Robbie, start us off. So we open into a basic suburban area, which normally happens in anything that's related to Stephen King or anything related to Steven Spielberg. That's a Freudian slip if I've ever heard one. It, uh, it's pretty close, though. Um, so st- basically, we zoom in on this family that's just living there. It's a mom, a dad. A teenage daughter, a younger son, and then a girl that's maybe like six or seven years old. And they're all trying to just, you know, live their lives in the suburban town. Well, the problem is we open up and we go into their house at night. And all of a sudden, after the national anthem goes off, uh, static comes up on the screen. And the little girl crawls up to it and starts talking into it as as if it's talking back to her. And Bella's. 
so the whole family wakes up and it's like, well, that's weird, but let's send this kid back to bed. The next day you get some normal suburban stuff. The dad goes to work. The kids go off to school. And the next night, again, the channel goes off the air and it's a bunch of static. And the little girl wakes up again and goes and starts talking to the TV. Uh, fellas. <laughs> all right so the next day there's contractors outside because they're building a pool in their backyard in their amazing suburban home the daughter goes off to school on her bike and she gets catcalled by guys who are way older than her and she's supposed to be 15 that doesn't go very well and she gives them the good ooh stick it up your butt then carol ann the daughter (laughs) Hey, that's what happened. Don't lie. Carol Ann, the daughter, is hanging out with Diane, the mom, played by Joe Beth Williams. Ooh. Ooh. They're chilling in the kitchen. And all the chairs are, like, out away from the table. And she's like, hey, kids, did you do this? And she's like, no. So the mom puts the chairs back, walks away, comes back, and all of a sudden the chairs are on the table. And it's like, what? Oh, no. Fellas. So later that night, hi, Craig C. Nelson comes home and it's like, hello, honey, good to see you. And honey is like, you got to see what's going on in the kitchen. And uh, turns out that she's set up this sort of like ice skating rink where stuff just slides across on the kitchen. Uh, even, even their little, even their little girl, Carol Ann, just slides just by sitting down on the floor. And well, Craig T. Nelson is like, hmm, this is curious. Uh, well, just no one go in the kitchen, fellas. All right. So uh, everyone's established that there's this spooky stuff going on. You know, people are moving by themselves. So they decide that, of course, they're just going to go to sleep like normal in their house. And then what happens is it's storming, lots of lightning going on. And then the tree that's been outside this kid's room. The sun. The, the little, yeah, the sun, the little boy, Robbie. There's a big tree outside his room. <laughs> And it reaches through and tries to grab him and pull him out the window. And he screams. So everybody runs in there, leaving the little girl by herself in her room for some reason. And uh, while they're trying to grab him, all of a sudden the closet door swings open and starts to drag uh, Carol Ann, the little girl, into the closet with them. And so she screams, she disappears, and they go in there to go find her after rescuing Robbie, who's now beaten and bruised. And they go up and they see a lump on the, on the bed and they're very scared and they pull off the cover and it's a clown. Just the clown doll and she's nowhere to be seen. So the family's freaked out by this. Craig T. Nelson, the father, <laughs> goes to these paranormal investigators, not unlike the Ghostbusters, but not the Ghostbusters. And he's, he's just shaking and freaking out and smoking cigarettes. And they're like, what, do you, what can you tell us about these paranormal incidences? And he goes into like all the crazy things that are happening. And they're like, oh, good. Well, we'll, we'll come to your house and see what's going on. And the family is just at their wits end, but they're all very calm. They're like, so we get, a lot of, we get a lot of activity in this room. And they're like, well, I don't know anything about. And then things just start moving. <laughs> like, uh, well, maybe show us somewhere else where this happens. And. And eventually they convince these guys that this stuff is real and it's going down. So they're like, and we can talk to our daughter if we turn the TV to a dead station. And they turn the TV to a dead station and she, the mom calls out, Carolyn, honey, it's mom. Please talk to us. Say hello to daddy. And then from the void, goes, hi, daddy. And they're like, Carolyn, come back to us, fellas. 
So Carol lands and they're going, help me, help me. And all of a sudden she's like, there's a light and this scary thing coming after me. And the moms are like, oh no, it's a light. Um, usually don't go towards the light. Don't go towards the light, she yells. And then they sort of like talk to her for a bit. Nothing really goes anywhere because again, she's in a TV realm. How are you going to get to that? So they're like, okay, we're going to spend the night here and like keep an eye on things. Now, one of the dudes comes over named Marty no affiliation with back to the future but he goes and he's like i'm gonna go get some food so he goes to their kitchen and he pulls out a full steak who goes to a kitchen and takes a full steak out of a fridge but he's like you know what i'm gonna have a steak he gets a pan puts it on the thing puts a steak on the table turns it around turn the heat on the steak starts moving and he's like oh no that's a smoothing steak and the steak opens up and practical effects galore come out. Just and he's like, oh, that's, that, that shit's nasty. So he goes to the bathroom to like calm down. And he starts going to the sink and throwing water in his face. And then he looks up, fellas. And he scrubs his skin off. So he leaves. <laughs> you left me with that pickup that's what happened that was a great tee off and then just uh, throw it away <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Lesh feels like she's a little in over her head so she calls in her psychic friend her the expert Tangina who gives them the, the the big rundown and basically what it is is there's all these lost souls in the house and they they don't know what they're dead and they can't quite get out uh, but they really seem to attach themselves to carol ann who is a living presence so they are attached to that like there's also this beast there so tangina concocts a plan and they enact it the best they can fellas all right, and so her plan, because she thinks that the best way to do, go about this is to go into this TV realm, pull her out from the spirit realm, and drop her through the living room uh, ceiling. And so she's about ready to do it. She's getting, all, she's getting all tied up with rope, and she's like, I can go to the other side. And she's like, no, no, she won't go to you. You're a stranger. I've got to go. And she's like, why are you going to go? You've never done this before. And she's like, because I'm her mother, and I know what I'm going to do. And so the psychic lady's like, okay, sure, if you want to, and goes ahead and gives her the rope. And then her husband comes in and says, honey, wait, I'll save you too. Okay, but don't let go. They kiss, and then she dives into the weird, creepy portal in the closet to go find Carol Ann. And while he's holding on to the, to the rope, all of a sudden this gigantic beast freak head comes out, tries to eat him, and he still holds on to the rope. And uh, out drops Carol Ann and the mom through the ceiling. And it looks like everything has gone great because they've gotten it out. And then the lady goes, this house is clean. All right. So the family, really the dad is like, we got to get the fuck out of here. So it cuts to them loading up a moving truck. The dad is very frantic. He's like, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. The family's like, all right, all right. We're, we're, so we're definitely getting out of here tonight. And he's like, I am not spending another night in this house. I need to go to work and take care of some business. And then we're leaving. So the dad leaves. The older sister goes to hang out with some friends. Wink, wink. Mm-hmm. So it's the mom and the two younger kids. And they are in their room playing and fighting and having a good time. And she's like, you kids, I'm going to go take a bath. You need to... Um, Cool. Answer the phone and tuck yourself in. And they're like, okay, yeah, we can do that. So she goes and takes a bath. And when she gets out of the bath, she goes into her room. 
and then suddenly uh, her shirts start getting pulled up and she starts getting pulled to the wall, up onto the wall and up onto the ceiling and she's freaking out and fellas. So Joe Beth Williams is still being thrown around and it's very scary. And all of a sudden in the kid's room, the clown is gone. <gasps> and the kid's like, the little kid, Robbie, uh, is looking for the clown. He's like, where'd it go? It was just in the chair. And he looks under the bed. All of a sudden, the clown grabs him because, of course, it's a scary clown. And it grabs him and pulls him under the bed and starts choking him. And it's like, oh, my gosh. And all of a sudden, the door in the closet that Mary Ann or Carol Ann was first taken into opens up again because why would they be in the same room? And it starts pulling them in and they're like hanging onto the bed going, ah, mom. And Joe Beth Williams comes in. And she's like, no, I got to save my kids for the second time in a day. But then all of a sudden there's a scary CGI monster. Well, it turns into practical effects, but it comes in CGI and fellas. So it looks like our heroes are licked, but then Steve comes back with his boss, the real estate manager. And it's finally revealed that their house was built on a cemetery with only the headstones removed, but not the bodies. And the bodies are looking for the, the afterlife. And they're going through the house, looking for it everywhere. And there's also this beast somewhere. I'm really unsure. Anyway, Steve and the family, they get the heck out of there. And they go to a hotel and they throw the TV out the window. And they spend the night safely, presumably. The end. The end. <laughs> um, this movie just threw me because um, I, I watched this when I was way too young. And I totally blanked that the climax happened and there's a second climax so i was watching like yeah. oh, it's wrapping up and i didn't hit pause or anything so i didn't see like how long it was and i'm like wait where's the clown scene again <laughs> and then i'm like oh no it begins again <laughs> no. robbie i have a very important question is this your second favorite movie because the little kid's name is robbie no although i did identify heavily with him as a child <laughs> <laughs> and, and why is that can you go into that because it wasn't Star Wars. Oh, it, man, there's so much Star oh, Wars stuff so in this movie. So much Star Wars. Oh, my God. <laughs> and an alien poster. Yeah. It, these kids <laughs> surely have seen some. Yeah. They, they've, they've gone through it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which, would, which makes me wonder, like, if he's, the type, if he's the type of kid who would have, like, all this memorabilia and be watching all of these movies, why does he buy a clown doll? The creepiest clown doll there can possibly be. And just, like when his parents buy it, like, okay, this is what I want to have sit staring at me every night before I go to sleep. I think it was his parents who bought it because he didn't like it at all. I was going to say, the kid throws the jacket over the clown every night because he's like, stop looking at me. But I would like totally move that clown away from the one place that's staring at me every night when I sleep, jacket or no jacket. Yeah, I think I'd set fire that to is, it. That is one of my notes. Spooky clown just waiting to do something. Yeah. Yes. It's like they are setting up this clown. Chekhov's clown. He showed yeah. the clown in the first act. It's got to go off eventually. <laughs> All right. So before we dive into my theme corner, because there are a bunch of things I'd like to go into with this. Um, I just want to say, this is probably, like I said, this is my second favorite horror film. Guys, this is Robbie's <laughs> second favorite horror film. <laughs> I don't know if you heard. I don't know if you know. I thought it was second favorite film. No. Well, it's my second favorite horror film. Um, my favorite Wait, so film. So is it your second favorite movie or your second favorite horror movie? Second favorite horror movie. Okay. 
it is my first favorite movie and my first favorite horror movie are the same. And that's Silence in the Land, which we already watched. Oh, oh. I forgot we watched that. <laughs> I was going to ask about your third, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, well, I'll probably get that for one of my weeks soon. But um, <laughs> we're just going down my list. <laughs> so basically, this film, it's kind of a miracle it came out the way it did. Uh, it was written and produced by Steven Spielberg, but he was under contract at the time for E.T., which was also in production at the same time. And his contract stated he couldn't do anything else but work on E.T. Well, he couldn't direct have, another movie, yeah. Yeah, he couldn't direct another movie. So you have <clears> Toby <throat> Hooper, who was the director of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, which Steven Spielberg really liked. So he decided that he was going to bring him on as the director. Okay, so Toby Hooper um, came on. He was uh, and uh, there wasn't. It was not acrimonious on set from the beginning. It seemed like it was okay between the two, but apparently there was a lot of production issues because a lot of people were saying, "Oh, well, Spielberg didn't get enough of his name on it," and then. Toby Hooper, you know, shouldn't have been that much on it because it was basically a Steven Spielberg film. So that's become a back and forth thing. There's lots of history on that with different actors saying different things. But it, bottom line was it was just a contentious production. Um, yeah, I heard so, it was like you couldn't tell who the director was at times. It was basically 50-50. Yeah, exactly. Like Toby would be like, oh, well, this is how I want this scene to go. And Steven Spielberg would be like, well, actually... And the whole point was like, well, Steven Spielberg tells you how to do something. Are you going to tell the guy no? Absolutely not. He is the producer, which is technically above the director. I know Steven Spielberg got final cut, so it's really his finished vision. Yep. So there was just just a lot of stuff there that normally wouldn't happen on a movie of this scale, just because usually it's more cut and dry than how it was with this film. Um. However, you, get to, you can see a lot of both of their visions in here. The production, the, camp, the cinematography, very much Texas Chainsaw Massacre, very much uh, Toby Hooper. Um, but the, the, the writing, the narrative itself, I mean, a lot of it are nods to Spielberg films. I mean, the bike riding scenes in the suburban area. I mean, E.T. came out right after it. You can see the similarities right away. Um, you got that whimsy. <laughs> yeah, and so what I liked about it was they had these. It it blended together this family with what was going on, and then instead of just having everything happen to them, they actually kind of had some agency here. In my opinion, they made some very stupid decisions. Like I would not be staying in that house, but ah. for what it's worth, like due to their actions, the story continues. Because at any time, they could have just up and left. That's horror movies for you. You gotta, you gotta make the poor decisions or else you don't have a movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, so that, that's kind of what I, what I had with it. But what do you guys think? Yeah, I was gonna say my favorite uh, when we watch a horror movie. Caleb, what did you think? Listen, <laughs> I was uh, fully willing to, to watch this one being the cult classic. I just I don't usually like horror movies, and if I am gonna watch one, it's pretty much because Robbie makes me. And the <laughs> the older the better, in my opinion, because 
it seems to me that with the small sample size of horror movies that I've watched, the old ones tend to be better and to be more about uh, story and building the, uh, the intensity. Whereas the newer horror movies seem to be just like getting straight to the, the killing. Mm-hmm. And whereas this movie, I don't think anyone dies, do they? Nope. Do any? Nope. Not even Dana. <laughs> Dana might have been a goner for sure. In the if this was made in 2019, let me tell you, mm-hmm. should have been first did on my guys, list. Well, she was a in real life. So every time Dana was on screen, it looked like a different actress. Sort of felt that way. Every time, like you don't look like the same girl. What's happening here? <laughs> But it was just the same same actress every time, right? Yep, it was. It just she looked different done. every time. Yeah. yeah, I really, really enjoyed this movie. Uh, it gripped me right away. I like how it starts with the uh, a little misdirection because it starts with the the shots of the neighborhood and someone mm. riding a bike, and you think it's going to be a kid riding through the neighborhood, but nope, it's some old dude with a case of beer. <laughs> <Hey>, <laughs> Uh, yeah, the the effects were great. The like Caleb said, the it's more about it, the atmosphere of scare than it is just jump scares or gore or anything. Mind you, I like those kind. I like gore and whatnot, but they have their place. I feel like to the atmosphere sure. was better in this one, and it was action packed. It did it gets into the ghost stuff pretty quickly. And it doesn't let up except to give you just enough of a reprieve to ramp it back up. Mm-hmm. Gives you just that feeling of security, and then we still have 16 more minutes. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. So I really like this film because it has that fake-out part between the ending and then the real ending. Uh, because if you had just cut the movie down to the first major climax and denouement, it would have been great. As a normal film, it would have been fine. But the second part is what really raised to greatness where they went all out. So I like that sort of faint because it works. And normally when movies try that, it doesn't work. What do you think, Nick? Um, I did. I really liked this movie. I watched it when I was like, I think 11, when my dad was trying to introduce me to um, uh, movies of his time. Ooh, yikes. Mostly like, like Tron, this, and... Uh, Blazing Saddles. I think we did like a movie night of all those. And he nice. remembered it being a PG movie. Um, and I watched it and I was traumatized and very afraid of clowns. It, it is a PG movie because PG-13 didn't exist yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they actually, I read a little trivia fact about that. When it was originally going to get an R rating, but then they fought it in court to get a PG rating so more people would see it. Yep. How's, how's that? that kind of clout. How how did that work? Like, what did they? What were they, they fighting in sued. court for it? It's not court. You can go to the MPAA and appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're more likely if you have a big name or a big studio behind you. If you're to appeal correctly, yeah. There's a whole documentary about it called "This Film Is Not Yet Rated." That'll tell oh, you all okay. about the MPAA and how it's not the most up and up organization. Mm. I say. It's interesting. It's classified as a horror movie, but then the final little, little act there, it's more like an action thriller in that bit. 
<laughs> Except Man. for all those skeletons popping out of it. It's just like it's like oh spooky, it's but it's spooky. also like whoa! Look at look at all this like crazy effects going on. Yeah, but that's kind of like Indiana Jones reminiscent. So I, I'm with you there. It's kind of action thriller, with uh, the exception of the clown that leads it into, which begs yeah. the question: If a horror movie starts with horror and ends action thriller, does it still horror? Have you seen Rocky I would Horror? Say yes. Uh, I've seen a, a stage show, a couple of them. <laughs> I would say yes, because just because the ending is more intense doesn't mean it wasn't still horror themed. They were being attacked by these skeletons. They were running for their lives. They were screaming. They were afraid. There was definitely elements of horror, even though it's faster paced and quicker. Mm-hmm. I, I would definitely agree that it, it's a horror movie throughout, even though it is much more heavily an action-oriented, kind of thriller-based. Um, it's still horror because not only is that the theme they were going for, but the, as I'll go into when we hit themes, it really focuses in on family fears. Less, oh God, the monsters are going to kill me, even though that's still happening, but more into, oh no, my family could be, you know, they could disappear forever and that type of dread, which is absolutely horror, even though it's not what you would typically think of as your horror film. It's also classified as a horror thriller, so I don't think we could argue about that. There you go. <laughs> well, Who classifies yeah. those? <laughs> yeah. Well, we can get the piece of our mind. My shall we get into it, fellas? Robbie, you ready for your segment? Nick, will you do the honors, please? Well, if you insist. Now it's time for Robbie's themes. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. Thank you. I'm practicing. All right. Tell us, Robbie. So, so in this film, what I liked a lot was the core theme of family, specifically the fear of what would happen if your family were to break apart or someone were to go missing. And instead of going for the obvious of like, oh, you know, there's ghosts and they're going to come out and haunt you or kill you or eat you. Instead, nothing really happens to the parents per se, they're, except for near the end when she gets hauled up onto the wall. For the most part, everything bad that's happening is happening to the two youngest children, Robbie and Carol Ann. Yeah, this is just around the time with kids on milk cartons and the uh, it's eight o'clock. Do you know where your children are? Yep. Exactly. So you're having this, you're having these suburban parents with their normal life going on. And all of a sudden their little girl is gone. They can't find her anywhere. Their boy is being dragged off, possibly dragged to the window at night, which was something that happened at the time, kidnapping through a window, that type of thing. And I don't think that that was an accident. That was absolutely trying to reach in to those primal fears that parents have that your children might not be safe and there's nothing you can do about it and then the girl getting pulled in through the television set and into a world where they don't know where they are and all they can do is sit and wait it plays up that part of like wondering what's going to happen to them very well uh the reactions of the parents and i don't know it's just again one of the most moving and present film or themes of the film but what do you guys think I am wondering about Dana because she is barely in this movie and she barely gets anything to do. And I wonder how she fits into that puzzle 
I think because she's a little older, mm-hmm. she's not as susceptible to the little kid scares, you know? Well, like, she would probably have more agency than the younger kids to fight back or defend herself, whereas the kids are kind of just at the whim of this poltergeist. But in the movie, she doesn't. The whole time, she ends up taking the hit of Carol Ann disappearing the worst. Like, when they're talking to her on the TV, she is having a mental breakout. And in the very final scene where she gets in the car, she can't comprehend the fact that her parents are there to even, like, get in the car. She's just screaming, like, what's going on? That's true. But I think that's why she was gone for most of it at friends' houses is... It's easier, like I said, these kids probably have less agency to, or self-preservation when getting sucked into a closet or choked by a clown because they're little. They don't have as much survival instinct as, say, a 15 or 16-year-old might. I, I actually, if you can give construction workers the uh, up yours, I think you can fight off some poltergeists. Yeah, um, before Robbie jumps in here. I think her character was mostly meant as a joke in a way because they set her up as a little <clears throat> uh, lady of the night throughout the they whole thing. They did sort of hint at that, didn't they? A little promiscuous. Especially with the, oh, I know that place when they talk about the Holiday Inn on 7th. Did anybody else oh. notice when she came back from her from dinner with her friends as the house is getting imploded, she had a big old hickey on her neck? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Oh, no. Yep. <laughs> That's not what I was thinking yep. about. <laughs> I, just, I just noticed it was pretty big. <laughs> so, actually, in my mind, that really meant the theme they were going for because the fear wouldn't be, like you said, she's older. She's more world-wary, world I guess. She's, uh, she knows her situational awareness a little bit more. She gives, the, basically, you know, the finger to those construction workers so she has that agency to herself, right? She's put on the cusp of adulthood. But what I think is important is that it focuses in on how she takes, how hard she takes Carol Ann being gone, because this is what a sibling would feel like if all of a sudden their younger sister or younger brother was taken from them. Mm-hmm. Which again, like Greg said, it was very. This was the time where it was like you know the PSA ads on TV and the milk cartons. If you had a little kid, because. You would let your kids play. You would let them go outside for hours at a time. Don't come back till sundown. And so if something happened, like what, what is the brother or sister going to do who's 16 or 17 and isn't quite an adult yet, you know, doesn't have that mental capacity for it. They break down. That's exactly what Jana does. So what she shows is that even though she has that agency, even though she can stand up to those construction workers and say, fuck you, she still breaks down when her sister's missing. Yeah. Well, I think that this is really Joe Beth Williams' movie. It is more about how this mother is dealing with the loss of her child. Craig T. Nelson, to a lesser extent, but definitely the mother is the one who gets the focus, the tears, fights for her kids. You are not going to take my babies, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely felt that when they uh, get the. Is that a push dolly shot, or is it just called a dolly shot? With the dolly zoom? Yeah, the dolly. I was going to bring that up uh, in a little hallway. bit. But I guess I can bring it up now. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. In the hallway where they do the dolly zoom to make it look like it's stretching out. And she's running in slow motion. Uh, yeah, just to really show that it's, it's such a almost impossible task, but she fights through it. Yeah, I think that was my favorite part of the movie. 
being that triumphant moment where she overcomes anything that she's feeling it beyond just, I have to save them. And she does. So big victory moment for one Diane Freeland. <laughs> that like, it's a good emotional setup for her. But for me, it felt a little flat when she ran up to the door and then she opened it like fully stopped and opened the door with her hand instead of like oh, shoulder first. Cause she thought it was barricade at first, but she's like, yeah, I'm just going to mm. stop now and just open it. She had her kids screaming. She's got to, yeah, it lost momentum. You just got to go full shoulder. <laughs> That's fair. To be fair, I think it was because the next shot is the set's vertical. Yeah. <laughs> and she has to like get through the door safely. <laughs> I have a thing for all these vertical moments. Hmm? There's no way these kids are strong enough to hold on when the closet is sucking them towards it. Mm-hmm. Now hear me out. Okay. Gravity oh. is one G in order to be pulled completely sideways and not have any downward pull of gravity, that thing's at least three to four Gs pulling you. Kids are not feasibly strong enough to hold on. Like, it even gets to the point where Carol Ann's still holding on, but the bed frame breaks, and that's what brings her out. There's no way she can hold on to that. And in that final scene, Robbie is holding on to a sheet. He's not holding on to the bed itself. He's holding on to a single sheet. Hey, man. Yeah, but it's tucked in pretty tight, bed sheets real tight. Yeah. I'm just... (laughs) Hospital corners. Those kids are either the most swole people because they're Mr. Incredible's son or children. Who, uh... Or... Uh, Bulger guys don't follow physics. Well, yeah, they're from another <laughs> realm of existence. Well, damn. <laughs> also, I think if you, you ever hear about the, the mother who lift a car off of her children, you know, you get that, you get that fear strength. Um, you get them sick abs, you know? That is true. Sick abs when you're fighting a poltergeist. <laughs> Probably what's the next theme. Yeah. All right. So moving on from the family theme, although that's, again, one of the stronger ones. The other one is uh, basically the, the believability, the agency of what's going on. So when they, when they first have this happen, they don't call the police. They go and they talk to these people because they, they want to get their daughter back and don't think that they'll be believed. So they go to this group that's supposed to be the authorities on the subject. They're supposed to be, you know, the Ghostbusters, pretty much. Yet the entire time they're in the house, even after they realize how real it is, they are completely and totally inept. And not just inept, but they're actively, like, not trying to help. The guy who, like has his face falls off when he goes in and gets their food. He's not paying attention. The guy who's supposed to be watching the camera is just sketching in a sketch pad. Like, they're not actually trying. And so it's interesting when they go get the, the psychic, and the, the psychic gets called in, and they try and do it that way, that they push all the other stuff to the side. Because what it's mm. doing is it's saying that, well, they can't really focus on these guys to try and catch them or bust them but that this is much more like a, a spiritual thing rather than, you know, just these ghosts are haunting you, which is kind of run counter to what they were trying to do in the first place. Because when it first starts, they're in a, they're happy. They're not happy, but they're like trying to experiment with it to play with it. The mom's letting, you know, the slip and slide on the ground and the chair is moving from start to stop. She's marked it down. And they're like, well, we can bust this ourselves. 
Then when the kids get kidnapped, they're like, okay, we have to bring in professionals. And when the professionals don't work, then they bring in the, the spiritualist who's like, yo, you shouldn't be messing this with this at all. Like, this is something that you can't, you can't play with. And the fact that this is all happening because it's an Indian burial ground, there's nothing they can really do to fight these creatures, and they shouldn't try. So the agency of like, oh, well, we're going to do the American way, like with the, you know, the American anthem on the TV of like, we're going to fight for this, and then it doesn't work. I don't know. So your thesis... I had this written down. I might have... Is the theme of helplessness. Yes. They, they want okay, to try to attack sense. it. They want to try to attack it, and it doesn't work. It does seem like there are many... The, it does seem like there are a lot of characters who are in the mood of like, yeah, we got to go get them. We'll go get them. And it sort of seems like they don't really have anything they can do. Uh, except run at them and then run away or, you know, grab, uh, grab a kid and run. And I think the movie did a very good job of making it subtle, but still in the forefront that uh, Dr. Lesh and Marty and Ryan, they're very much in over their heads. This is like the first major poltergeist or haunting that they've been at and they're excited and very terrified and i think um it's a it's a pretty good story beat for the the middle of the movie there yeah i agree with caleb it's i don't think it was that they weren't trying i think it's that ryan was talking about how oh one time we saw this matchbox car go seven feet across the floor it took seven hours like they're used Mm -hmm. to either so minimal uh a haunting as it were or they're skeptical because I'm sure they've been brought in for falsities before that when they do start seeing the big stuff, that's when they're like, okay, like uh, Marty leaves. He's like, I'm not going to do this. This is too much. Mm-hmm. And I think Marty yeah, got they're bit on the hip. overwhelmed. Well, he shouldn't have been fucking with that steak. He should have, should have been. He, he was going to cook like a three inch steak on a small frying pan. That was yeah. his mistake. In the middle of the yeah. night. A porterhouse steak. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> But he was bit before that. Mm-hmm. He went up to yeah. go and to then the he's like, bedroom. But that's true. Yeah, he was, he was like, I'm sure this isn't that bad. I'm going to go up there without anyone else. <laughs> but I want to go back to um, the believability of it. Like, even Dr. <laughs> Dr. Les. Dr. Lesh. Lesh. She even sits down with Diane and starts, like, saying how she studied psychology and that this was sort of a thing on the side and she's never really been able to like get any actual proof out of it. And all of a sudden they're being thrown like CGI lamps at them out of nowhere. And it's just very startling to actually see a, a true encounter occur. So even though they don't have any experience and they even bring in Tangina who like goes through this, like I know what to do. And then they get to the rope scene and Tangina's is like, I have to go. I must do this. And, Diane goes, but you've never done this before. Tangia goes, oh yeah, you go. Yeah. Like no, they don't have any actual experience. <laughs> They're just like using their intuition to figure out I, how to like. I did it. want to uh, throw in a quick point of order. Her name is Tangina. Tangina. Sounds like you're saying Tangia. Yeah. Tangina. I would like to make a quick correction. Also, there is no CGI in this movie. Those are, those are optical effects that they put in later. They're, oh, it's a much more complicated effect mm-hmm. because you have to 
print the mat, print the thing. It's, it's, he's harder than just throwing into a computer. They should have just done computer. The the other thing, uh, just to to clarify what I was saying, um, because you guys are right. What I was, what I was trying to get to. We usually are. Yeah. yeah, You guys are. They don't call us the film fellas for nothing. They call us the film fellas? (laughs) They will. (laughs) They will someday. Uh, the fact is, a lot of times you have them fighting against these overwhelming odds and they win through a deus ex machina. Like, they bring in the, ba- the good guys, the good guys fight them, and they read it back. What That's I like the American is that, way. Yeah. What I like is that this is not a, like, you know, an us versus them, how can we solve that? It's a very much a, no, 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 this is above you. This is more than you. And the best you can do is get your family and leave. And... I like that theme better than just the let's go, you know, fight them and knock them down, which has been, you know, all the time or gets done all the time. Because the whole point of this is supposed to be that it's the fam- again, the family fear of what could happen to you. And there is nothing your fa- you can do to 100% prevent these type of things from happening to your family. And that's the that's basically following through on that fear. So I just like how it stayed true to that through it instead of the other movies. I Kind of wasn't clear. Yeah. So then, I would like to ask, are the ghosts the manifestation of the family's fear for their preservation, or are they something else? Because I definitely got the feeling that, like, when you watch The Matrix for the first time, you're like, wow, this is deep, and it means stuff. But you don't quite know what the <laughs> stuff is. So that was my viewing experience, as if, like, oh, these ghosts are... are a manifestation of something and it's deep and it means stuff. I mean, there's, there's something about, you know, forward progress in, in the, the dangers of suburbia and cutting corners in real estate. There's also a TV thing, which I did want to ask uh, the older people in the room, how that works. <laughs> uh, so back in the day, uh, TV used to go off air. Uh, I do know point, that because... Which is uh, what the national anthem represented. It's uh, saying, we are shutting off for the night. Yeah, I did know that. Toy Story 2 was one of my favorite uh, movies when I was a kid, and that they, they have that moment in it. But uh, the Freelings and their next-door neighbors, the Tuthills or Toothills? Unclear. Tuttles. Uh, the Tuttles, yeah. Uh, so the Freelings and their next-door neighbors, the Tuttles, they, their remotes work for the... They both have TV remotes that work for each other's TV sets. Yeah. And so this was early remote technology. The, they were probably had the same set. So they were probably both on the same frequency, Mm -hmm. which is why they could switch each other's. Okay. So it was a, because they were working off of a a frequency and Mm -hmm. because like, as I was growing up, TV remotes had to be aimed with precision skill straight at the, the box. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. But, uh, so TV remotes back in the day were more of like send, sending a signal out in a radius. So yeah, more like a shotgun. Mm-hmm. But they could have fixed, fixed it if one of them turned their TV off, flipped to the channel they wanted to turn it off. Would have been fine. Oh, that's true. I did want to mention... <laughs> I just used the knobs, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that they have that uh, that scene where 
all the all these men in the Freeling's house are watching the football game and it's getting towards a big climactic moment and they're like yeah uh-huh and then it swaps to Mr. Rogers and or Mr. Rogers neighborhood and they're all silent and I so badly wanted them to cheer louder afterwards like <laughs> like yeah yeah Oh yeah, because I mean, yeah, friendship. Yeah, no one hates Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. But I think that was something that they developed later for that exact reason. Because having it, having to make you pointed at it, means that you're not going to be activating your neighbors when you're trying to use yours. Mm -hmm. It just makes it so that it's more narrow focus. Mm -hmm. No, I think that was to subtly set up. The that things are going to start changing against their will because that's like the first the instance. That's the first instance where they're like, "What is this?" Mm -hmm. There's an answer this time because it was their neighbor, and it happens a lot. Oh. But that's what set up, sets up for the audience. Like, oh, things are going to start moving. Things are going to start getting weird. Yeah, this is a good movie. Oh. Go ahead. This is a good movie to bring someone to if they don't know it's a horror or thriller film because mm. this the whole entire opening sequence is so like this is just what happens in the suburbs kids with RC cars spilt beer spewing out while he still goes to the football game neighbor disputes. No one ice cream truck, like everything. Exactly. <laughs> it's a bait and switch done right. In my yep. opinion. Again, I really like this film. It does a lot of its stuff, right? The, the little girl talking to the TV happens first. And then the switching of the channels against their will is um, after that. So it kind of sets up, for the audience, but there's an in-universe in explanation at first, but it starts you to be like, okay, things are going to get eerie. When she says they're here, that's the second time she looks at the TV, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, like when the, that's when they escape, I think. Mm -hmm. yes. In an effect that is not CGI, but what's it called, Greg? That is probably animation. Oh, okay. Well, how about that? Yeah. The, little the ghosts were animations, except for the... the puppets which were cool like the one that was underwater so it looked real ethereal with its hair floating and everything mm -hmm. the is that like the the big white one outside the bedroom yeah oh yeah that one so to get rad. that floating effect is you you shoot it underwater so it's hair and oh. uh, clothes are floating in an ethereal way yeah was it a a model house at the very end when it implodes on itself that's a good question. I don't know. Because I know that was a great effect, though. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's really iconic. In the trivia, a lot of I read this stuff this. holds up. Yeah. Uh -huh. In the trivia, I read it says the house is still standing today. So mm, I don't yeah. know if they, it was a prop house or if it was just like a second house they made, like a smaller version of. Probably for that kind of thing. Yeah. Because yeah, use the exterior. I know the interiors were a set. Like mm -hmm. the whole house is built on a soundstage. The outside of the house, uh, were the actual houses, it actually was sold recently in 2009. <laughs> I, I read say that recently, too. but like, you know. <laughs> mm. Oh, IMDB, you're so helpful. Uh, it's, <laughs> this is the first movie I read like all the trivia for because I'm like, I'm, I, need to, I need to know. <laughs> nice. The worst trivia, though, was the girl who played Dana, uh, Dominique Dune. She, so we're going to get into the curses? Is it this, this is like an actual like theory about the movie? The, apparently, this movie is cursed. Yeah, well, I, I'd assume. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, sure, go ahead. I, I want to know about the. But yeah, she. 
So I guess it would be cursed. She died or was murdered in October. Uh, yeah, in October, October yep. of uh, nineteen eighty-two when it came out. Like it wasn't even wow. like what five months after it released. Her oh, ex-boyfriend uh, strangled her, and she was like, yep. "I looked at her, um, IMDb. She this was like the third year she was acting." Mm. And she has 15 credits already. Like she was gonna have like a booming career. Good for her. And then, actually, 21 also. Yeah. 22. 22. Well. Yeah. I don't know her exact mm-hmm. birthday. She was young. She was um yep. 59. 1959. <laughs> and uh, Carolyn also died uh, in 1988. Wait. Yeah. No. 12. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my Yikes. God. So that- I saw that there is a poster in the little boy's room for Super Bowl 1988. And I'm like, what does that yeah. mean? So there are people who think that it was a prediction. That, no. Uh, <laughs> no, but you know how internet rumors go. Right. But like, <laughs> yeah. oh my. Like, like the, oh, the, way, is- the way that the prop team set up that room, like, in my opinion, there's no way they had that prediction unless, you know, all the well, Star Wars. Why did they have the Alien Super Bowl in 1988? Well, because it's here's... a kid's bedroom and they, you, there's usually. But it was in 82. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. And she did die well, February yeah. 1st, 1988. You've the, got a the point main there. Reason, the main yeah. reason for the, the curse happening, uh, did, you, did you guys see why they thought that it happened? Tell us. Those, the uh, the effects were all like you said. If they were all practical, these ones really were. Those skeletons in the end in the pool, those were real skeletons. They were human skeletons that yep. they used for their horror movie. And um, a lot of people were very freaked out by that. And that's what kind of started all these rumors for the curses. Because especially Joe like, Williams. <laughs> yeah, they they were not uh, they were not uh, fake. Those were absolutely 100% real that she swam with in that pool. It's weird. Sometimes you can get real skeletons cheaper than making fake ones. <laughs> this is not the only movie where they've used real skeletons because it's it cheaper. Was, uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland. Yeah. They didn't but tell her, skeleton. right? What? Uh, I don't think they told her. No. I um, think they did not tell why, her. <laughs> why would you? Yeah. Another uh, uh, I bit, know. Of, bit of cursing involves everyone's favorite, the clown. No. Uh, the the animatronic clown was actually strangling the little kid, oh. and <laughs> yeah. they thought that he was acting, uh, oh. and then his face started to change color. So Steven Spielberg ran in there and saved him. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that he one. was saying, "Um, I can't yeah. breathe," which yep. nowadays has a crazy connotation attached to it. <laughs> yeah, Steven Spielberg was oh, like, yeah. "Oh, that's too real. I got to get in there and save him." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, another yeah. little Steven Spielberg fun fact. Uh, during the water scene in the pool, uh, Joe Beth Williams was not keen on doing it because there was so much lighting equipment around her that she was scared that it would electrocute her because like, electrocu- like mm-hmm. water and right. electrics don't go, to go all together. So Steven Spielberg, in order to get the shot, said, I will sit in the water with you during the scene. And if, we, if anything falls in, we both fry. So yep. he's probably just underwater hiding in the back. All this okay. is going on. <laughs> really? That is some dedication. It sounds like Steven Spielberg. 
Goodness. A little behind the scenes for us, Nick. I love how we both read the IMDb trivia and we have the same information. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's I where I get a lot of my little fun facts for movies. So this one, from me, guys. I actually knew beforehand. Uh, um, Drew Barrymore, the girl from E.T., she was originally going to be cast as um, Carol Ann, but Steven Spielberg didn't think she had the like right fit for it, and she ended up doing E.T., another Spielberg movie, the same year. And then she well, that's showbiz kids. Exactly. Yep. Launched her career. It feels like they're they want to say something about TV, but then they realize they're a movie and there's a very half measure. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have that written down in a question. It's about the evils of TV, the evils of the eighties. What yeah, we what can, does the TVs have to do with this? Yeah, we I feel like we can is talk it, about that. Is a television bit more. breaking down the American family? Um I have a theory on that for themes too. Uh, the themes. sorry, we're still we in. Do themes for Oh yeah, this is becoming everything's a theme. This themes. whole podcast is a theme. <laughs> no, I I think that the television set again. If we stick with the family fears type thing, raising your kid via television. What is it that takes their kid away? The TV, movies that they see on TV, the shows they see on the TV. Do you know when she switches the thing says you know that that's going to hurt your eyes she switches the tv on it goes to a war movie in the middle of a death scene yeah. and i that yes. that cannot be a coincidence yeah so that that's what i'm thinking that that is is the fear of like what's what they're watching is that going to be what takes them away from you type thing well what she was watching beforehand was just static and she was more worried about what her eyes her eyes getting hurt from watching that rather than the actual content, which when she swaps it, she just walks away even though she can see it's like a, the people die in war. They used to tell you when you were a kid that watching TV was bad for your eyes. My parents still tell me that. It, mm-hmm. Turns out it wasn't. Help. They also told me don't be close to the microwave while it's going. That's true. Oh, is that true? No. It's like, it's no. like a lead line. Pretty safe. Yeah. You- <laughs> They wouldn't. They wouldn't let you sell them if they were if they were leaking. Well, just don't put metal in there or out. grapes. Yep, grapes. Grapes create plasma. It's awesome. Yep. Oh, they Explode. do. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's rad. And cats create a mess. <laughs> this is and, Nick and Greg's science corner. Very. <laughs> so then with, so then there's this idea that the ghosts are sort of a manifestation of raising your kids on TV and the, the dangers of that. But I think there's also a case to be made about uh, cutting corners because Nick brought up earlier that they could have just used uh, the knobs on the TV to, to change the channel as opposed mm. to the remote, which is itself cutting a corner, just like uh, Steve's boss cut a corner by just moving the headstones on the cemetery to move the cemetery so that they could make their suburb. Thoughts about that, fellas? It's weird that there was a cemetery next to the cemetery it is and they're like, weird. Oh, we built on top of this cemetery and we're going to build on top of this one too, because fuck yeah. the dead. It's, 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 real just a, it's real estate. It's just a five years longer drive. Yeah. Also, uh, Steve's boss really had a thing about giving him houses that were previously built on graveyards. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you're a top earner. Live on this, live on these dead people. Like, I mean, Poltergeist hadn't come out yet, so he hadn't seen the movie to know that he shouldn't do that. 
But <laughs> if he had, even if he hadn't, you'd think he would have a little bit more discretion. Yeah. But just ethicality yeah. of it, like yeah, what's yeah. the ethics of moving a graveyard? Are you allowed to do that? Yes. Okay. I would morally, no. Unfortunately, sometimes that you can, you can. That I believe that sometimes that they would uh, press eminent domain basically and say, "Oh well." you know, this is land that we can use and then they're supposed to move them because they want to take over that land. But mm. I'd have to look into it again. I remember researching it a long time ago after watching this movie because I was like, that can't be legal. And I remember being very disappointed in our legal system. I feel like but, there uh, would be an outcry though. Like yeah, the like, public would be, don't build on top of these dead people. That's what happened to my land, but you guys didn't care. That was a Native American joke for the audience at home. <laughs> yep, and by the other three guys, stone silence. <laughs> now we all are good. It's country. only because we don't know what Nick is, thus miscellaneous. Exactly. <laughs> Not even I know. <laughs> yep, my ancestors hated each other. But <laughs> um, yeah, the but yeah, no. Sometimes they they can try and do that where they just claim land, and if that land happens to have something like that. Um, you know, the whole point is that the, cor- the the real estate agent or the corporations in this case don't care. So they'll just do it anyway. I like how in the beginning of the movie, the pet bird dies and they bury it. And then when they're digging the pool, it clearly shows them digging up the cigar box with the dead bird in it to really show you that like... Um, it should have to dug foreshadow deeper. to oh. foreshadow that there are dead bodies under here and things are about to get real. Yeah. Oh, the foreshadowing was lovely, especially with the clown. You get that whole scene with him being scared of the clown. What an hour before anything actually happens with it. It's, it's great. It feels like. Yeah. 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 In my notes, I put nope, nope. I can't even with this clown. Like, <laughs> I, I was not willing to, to go through. And if I'm honest, during the part where Robbie's looking for the clown, I took off my headphones and I sort of watched it while leaning as far back as I could in my chair and holding my headphones about six inches from my face in front of it so that I could kind of hear and kind of see, but not really. <laughs> I was a little freaked out. Um, and I wasn't sitting next to you guys, so I was allowed to do that. <laughs> I was by myself. Yeah, I, I remember that I will credit this movie with my fear. This movie and it, yes, I will it. credit with my fear of clowns. The but It miniseries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the It miniseries. Tim Curry, oh, oh boy. The shower scene. Scared little me. Made me cry. Scared the, scared the hell out of little me. I had a um, big surprise. The, you have what? I haven't, I haven't seen the miniseries. And it's yo. not on Netflix, so you can't make me watch it, Robbie. Wait, wait, yo. <laughs> I like Venmo, What's you the guys policy on miniseries, y'all? <laughs> <laughs> oh, just, Good just wait, Caleb. question. Let's uh, Patreon, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Listen, if somehow we get... Patreon the- will live feed Caleb watching horror movies. <laughs> I am. Life me and Caleb together. I'll just be yeah, happy. That's and good. Be like, oh. 
Yeah, actually, that's good content because Robbie will just be sitting next to me looking at me like, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. And I'll just be like squirming. See if I can see. Yeah, it. it's good. All right, yeah. I will say <laughs> if we get X amount of Patreon followers, think, no. then uh, I will watch the It the miniseries live stream yeah. or like on video. Have you ever read the story? No, it's a, it's you a know he hasn't. You know I haven't. It's also a long book, so yeah, yeah. I I know the basic dealio. Yeah. Uh, anyway, can so we excited. talk about Poltergeist? Because yeah, I have one more thing to bring up. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, go ahead. I feel like Nick has been waiting patiently. Yeah, well, go ahead. Well, I do. Everyone, have give nit. him a give him a clean give him a clean. I, I do have a lot of nitpicks about this movie. Oh, you have Nick picks? Yes, I do. All right. Give us some Nick picks then. All right. So my nitpick Nick picks of this movie. Um, first of all, the first thing that really stood out to me was the dad, Steve, is going off on how he's going to have a three meter diving board for this pool. This pool is 10 to 12 feet deep. And the deep end is only five feet like long. That's not safe enough for a three meter high dive. I'm just saying those kids are going to hurt themselves and they're going to have a lawsuit on their hands. Given this is the eighties and safety hazards weren't that like OSHA wasn't very strict. That's not safe. Doesn't happen. Mm, Well, neither is having your house built on a graveyard. No. (laughs) Statistically speaking, unsafe. Yes. Also when Steve jumps down the stairs to see his wife for the first time, after mm-hmm. she pulls out Carol Ann, those stairs shake. Like, they're not stable. He jumps down <laughs> halfway down the stairs in two big bounds, and the first jump he does, the whole stair goes. So either that was the prop department, ha- like, doing very cheap stairs, or, again, that's an OSHA violation. Could you describe what the stairs going, like, means mm-hmm. for a listening audience? Yes. Oh, that's so, a good point. For the viewing audience, which will not exist, um, that was me shaking my voluptuous body. Um, for the other audience, it's like when you take a thing of jello and smack it, and it goes left and right. Also, the lights. That's what the stairs did, which are supposed to be made of metal and wood. Accurate. And that stuck with me. By the way, can we point out the fact that those stairs looked very, very odd in that house? It looked like it was designed by Picasso or like all squiggly. And you can go behind the stairs. All the way down. It made me uncomfortable. Yeah. And they don't even have a closet under there. All right, yeah, I'm, I'm down with that one. That's, that's an accurate nitpick. Another one is there's a balloon. Anybody timing this? All right, bye. Uh, we're <laughs> on for a third minute. <laughs> I have two more. Okay, there's yeah, a Nick, balloon two more. in the kids' room, and it's originally on top of the, on top of the window where the tree is. Uh, the mom comes in, tucks the kids in, and it goes, looks at the clown. When it's on the clown, the b- balloon has somehow magically moved behind the clown and is on the right side of the clown, which is totally the opposite like, wall of the room. And then it goes back to Steve coming in to, to look, check on the kids, and the balloon is now in the window again. So the balloon moved. I ain't about that. And my final one, which was in the trivia facts, there's a horrible like, editing cut. Oh, yeah. When the mom is looking at the chairs, apparently they said something about how they hate Pizza Hut now. 
and oh. Pizza Hut was going to sue the hell out of them when it first released. So they're like, let's just uh, take that out. But they didn't have any, they couldn't reshoot it. Yeah. And the most awkward edit of all time, which is mid sentence. <laughs> and then it cuts to them talking to their neighbors. It's like when I first edited Casino. <laughs> and those are my nick picks nick picks but in this movie's credit because it's a a a spooky horror movie with supernatural explanations any sort of nitpick gets the like well it could be ghosts (laughs) except for the editing one that one's pretty valid yeah and the the diving board Unless ghosts are changing our perception of the movie, as they've proven they've been able to do with what they did to uh, that other guy. What's his name? Ricky? Bobby? No, 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 no. <laughs> his, uh, which they've been known to do, because that's what they did to Marty. Oh, Marty. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't that's actually true. scrub his skin off. No. Guys, so the scene where uh, the mom is being thrown around the room and she's going up on the walls and on the ceiling, let's just talk about how amazing that is. They built a fully rotating set and locked the camera guy into the set with her and just rotated the entire set. And so the camera looked like it was on the ground the whole time and she just let gravity slide her across the wall onto the ceiling. Whoa. onto the other wall back down it's the set world all the way around and See, that's very, super cool very good control by joe beth during that entire scene uh because she looks like she's like consistently on the same like area of the wall like, yeah um, or the same pole but if mm-hmm. it's actually rotating during that that means she had to like slow herself down at points which yeah props to her and they've used this effect a couple times like inception and you sent us a video of what the tap dancer yeah yeah a very old where they first stare. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it's worked very well. And I love when they do it, the, did it like the second time where they, she goes into the next room and they're all yeah. sideways. Yeah. I was going to bring that up. Like I said before, uh, the, the vertical set where they're just hanging on and letting gravity do the effect of them being pulled into the closet. A lot of great practical effects on this one. Uh, yeah, yeah they, they are pretty good and what I like about practical effects is that you get the the feeling of like of dread because they're practical effects you can't just like throw money at it with CGI these days like you have to like work at it and make it work and so it it feels like they save a lot of the good stuff till the end kind of like also with Jaws like they do a lot of build up of what the shark looks like so that by the time you see the shark, it doesn't really matter because you've already had like an hour and a half of thrills of what it could be like. Um, so I think they really use their effects to the advantage in this movie. What was your guys' favorite effect from the movie? Like personally, mine was the tree eating the kid. Just like it had like a whole like mouth motion on the tree. And yeah, that it, was it cool. gave me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, that was, that was actually my favorite part is the tree with Robbie. And also because that was the one that scarred me the most as a child because having my name be Robbie, there is a tree outside my window when I was a kid and it's freaked me the heck out. So it was very <laughs> scary. Nope. It was a mulberry nope. tree, so it wasn't the same still. 
I think mine is probably the rotating set or the, the dolly zoom effect to make the hallway look like it's expanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going I'm to go with the dolly zoom on that one. Uh, second place is when they just made stuff skid across the kitchen. That yeah. was one of those moments where it just got me thinking like, wow, how did they do that? Do they have like a track under the floor or, you know, just what? And I like the scene where Dr. Lash is like, well, you know, just because you think this is happening doesn't mean, and then the coffee pot slides across the, <laughs> the table in front of her. So, how are you going to explain that, Dr. Lesh? Yeah, that's like the movie's one good joke. Like uh, when Steve's boss comes in, he's like, well, how you been? How's this flu? You, the whole family has it? And like the piano starts skidding towards him. And Steve's like, oh, well, why didn't we take <laughs> I do. I want to ask Greg a question. During the mm-hmm. scene where the chairs get stacked, Mm-hmm. I watched it a couple of times and there wasn't like a clean cut. Was that the prop team dragging it off that like had two tables, one that was had the chairs out and one that had the chairs like stacked with, I imagine it had to have been a bunch of people just moving super quick, like a pit crew mm-hmm. because yeah, it's one continuous take where you see her by the table, walk over to the sink and then pan back over. And it's, which is one of the, greatest uh, reveals in the movie. I was like, mm-hmm. wow, that was impressive. I, I, I watched it over so many times and even like did the whole take where I'm just looking at Carol Ann and where she likes, cause she like moves her left hand off her leg. So I can mm-hmm. back to her mom and it's the exact same spot. I'm like, how is there not a cut? It's insane. It was really good. I, I have to imagine it was just a bunch of stage hands. Everything was timed out. It's like, and we're clear, go swap it out. Coming back. Yeah, yeah that was pretty impressive. Uh, Nick, actually, I have a Nick pick. Yes. Uh, I would pose to you that these kids are really bad fake sleepers. Um, yeah. Anytime they're supposed to be asleep. Especially Carol Yeah, the, like their eyes are like wobbling. Mm-hmm. Like you can definitely yeah. tell they're not it's asleep. It's just REM, dude. <laughs> when <laughs> Carol Ann and Diane are in the tub after coming back from the yeah, other geez. plane. Just a little kid. What are you going to do? Well, yeah, so I mean, I'm not gonna <laughs> yeah. throw too much. What do you guys think that pink stuff was? Jelly? I was thinking Ectoplasm. it was just either bone I mean, marrow. In real life. Oh, I think it's <laughs> bone marrow or just um, a slurry jelly where it's um, a gelatin, but before you it fully emulsifies, they add a slurry, which is just cornstarch and water, and then it, like yeah, solidifies it a little bit more, so it gets a good goop on it. Yeah. Maybe that, it had good quality to it, at least. That was yeah. That was a good detail to have it come out goopy. Everything mm-hmm. that came through there, yeah, tennis was, ball and everything. You had to wipe it away. Be like, this is my handwriting. My yeah. favorite was when the rope came down the first time, and the entire thing's like the farther up the rope goes, the more like condensed the goop was. Yeah, the ecto. Good attention to detail. <laughs> yeah. One more thing. This scene made me, uh, if I might interrupt. Uh, I thought Nick had something. You might. I did, yeah. but I decided no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> one, one more, one more thing, because this scene kind of made me chuckle. The scene where like they're sending Robbie off to be with Grandma, and like it's supposed to be like this sort of sad and like sort of scary scene, like you know where, like what might happen to both parties as soon as they depart, but like. The way they shoot it makes it look like Robbie's going off to like boarding school. Like he has his suitcase, he has his dog, he throws the suitcase in a cab. 
like no one dri- they call him a cab and he just rides in this cab solo and his parents aren't even there to like it was in the 80s dude say goodbye like they're just at <laughs> yeah. the porch like we'll see you in the summer have a good semester son that kind of made me chuckle Speaking of the dog, the dog's name is E-Buzz. E-Buzz. What is, why is the dog named E-Buzz? What do you think the E stands what? for, fellas? Electric. Electric buzz, all right. Nick, what do you I think have- it stands for? Oh. I don't remember there being a dog. <laughs> oh, wait, yeah, the golden retriever. Um, yeah. I didn't think much of it because every time he, like, looks up, I didn't, like, remember his name at all. But they don't he, say his name much, but I was watching it with subtitles and it mm. said E period buzz every time. Same. It's probably like Earl. Earl Buzz. It's suburban. <laughs> I'm just looking at Robbie, what do you I think just, the dog's name is? Um I'm not sure, but I would like to say that he is the for for a family dog while everything's going on, he is the calmest dog. Like, we have a small dog that barks, like, every time the screen door kind of opens a little bit. This one, there, <laughs> things are getting tossed around him. The bed is spinning. And it's just like, sure. Mm-hmm. Sure, everything's fine. He's a, He's good a very good boy. I, wrote I don't know. Good dog. I forgot he even had a name. <laughs> well, so it'll then, be fun to speculate. Yeah. Electric wins the day, then. Cause Electric is, yeah. By default. Because <laughs> Caleb's the only one that participated. Hey, <laughs> good to be here. You right there, Nick? No, I have a thing in my notes that says the slap, and I remember putting it there, but I don't remember what it's about. I have a vague idea what you're talking about too, but I don't know what it is either. Somebody definitely gets slapped. Yeah, there's a solid slap. Caleb. Um. According to moviepause.com, which appears to be a blog, the dog's odd name comes from a Saturday Night Live skit in which Dan Aykroyd played an art critic named E. Buzz Miller. Aykroyd co-starred in the producer-screenwriter Steven Spielberg's movie 1941, the year before. Uh, Interesting. And that comes from Sharon Knoll, a a contributor to moviepause.com. Who knows? yeah, that's a good that's as answer cool. as any, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, one little like nostalgia point from this was when it says how they're gonna go to Pizza Hut, like actually mm. go to Pizza Hut. It wasn't like pick up there, back yeah, then, like an actual like dining establishment. Oh yeah, <laughs> you get your red plastic cup, you get your personal pan pizza. Heck yeah! Now see, Pizza Hut a, was where it's at as a child. I, I've always lived here in this town, which will remain anonymous. <laughs> hey. uh, we don't have a Pizza Hut. Yep. Well, we have one now. As a kid, we didn't have one. And every time I'd watch four kids in the morning on Saturdays, there would be Pizza Hut commercials. And I thought that was going to be the best pizza I'd ever have. The only thing we have here is called Round Table. And it, it's probably the same thing, but it didn't have stuffed crust. That's true. Area. They were I late finally, to the stuffed crust game. As an adult, it. round table is better. But as a child, Pizza Hut was where it was at. Yeah. <laughs> no way. All, <laughs> all you guys had to do was hop over to another town, my, the town right next to yours. We didn't have anything but a Pizza Hut. <laughs> and I burned out on that when I was a kid. So when I finally had Pizza Hut for the first time, I was so hyped for it. I was going to a, a trip to Canada and we had to stop a uh, layover in 
Houston, Texas, mm. and they had a Pizza Hut in the Ooh, airport. Pizza Hut, and I was hey. like, "Oh boy, <laughs> Pizza Hut!" And I got a personal pizza, and I threw up. Ooh. Nice. <laughs> the hype was not worth it. Well, it's also an airport. airport so. <laughs> I was gonna say, to be fair, <laughs> well, let me tell you, Robbie. Robbie, when you were a kid, did you have the book it program at school? Yes, dude. Guys, let me tell you about the book it program. <laughs> the book it program was in conjunction with Pizza Hut, where if you would read a certain number of books, you would get a free personal pan pizza. Oh yeah. Oh, it was yep. dope. I read so many books. <laughs> it was great. In my school, we didn't have that because we were a healthy school. See, that's yeah, I think this was... It didn't work. They got rid of it after, uh, I think, the 90s. Ours was like you got a pizza party if the entire class met the goal. And I remember lying. Mm. So we got yeah. the goal. Like I, I said, I read like 40 <laughs> like books do. in the same year. And like I fake a parent's signature. And they're like, yeah, you're fine. Hey, oh. <laughs> nope. my I didn't read a single book in middle school. Oh. <laughs> my school had this weird program where they'd pay where they would um they had these like boxes of different colors and then letters and so each one was like a move a step up basically i think it was in like third grade and so you would read like blue book one and it'd be like c spot run um and then it would move all the way up to like war and peace and it was just like this this ridiculous scale but it's like if you finish the blue box we'll give you some Jolly Ranchers and you finish blah, blah, blah. And it was like this whole big ice cream, social pizza party. If you happen to hit, like, I think it was the red box. And so I would be sitting there at recess reading. And people were like, well, let's go play. I'm like, I want a pizza party. I want a pizza party. <laughs> I'd just be reading for these. Books. That's fun. Robbie put in the work carrying the team, like always <laughs> <laughs> doing the group project for us all. We mm. finally did. And it was, it was not great. <laughs> mm. It All was right. cold Any... at the end of class. <laughs> Anybody have anything else they want to bring up? Just how good the like I don't know if it's like ad libs the character, but at one point when they're moving out, the mom is writing on like a box and the mover and Steve lift up the box and she continues to write on it. And it was just like, haha, I did that when I moved. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Steve is like, we got to get out of here. We'll Very figure good this out later. Slice of life. <laughs> <laughs> That's all my notes. I'm done. Nice. Uh, anybody else got anything to say? Craig T. Nelson's pretty hot in this movie. He's a good looking guy. Brings I have never that, seen young so- Craig T. Nelson. Yeah, brings in that, that strong dependable dad energy i appreciate See when he's it in, on his bed rolling his cigarette it's like yes that's the strong dad vibes <laughs> <laughs> leaping into that pool after caroline before yeah, after, yeah. before yeah and like that long jump style <laughs> yeah because like he was a track and field guy too yeah like that was he said he was like, a diver yeah he was one. a diver which sort of feels track and field adjacent enough because they're both <laughs> events that Americans only watch outside. once every four years. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah once every five years. This yeah, year. five years. Hey, <laughs> Sweet. So let's get into would you recommend this movie and under what circumstances? Let's start with Nick. 
as much as I love this movie, I don't think I'd recommend it to people nowadays. I think it's a little, it's slightly dated in certain aspects. I think if you're like p- playing a joke on someone and you do like the whole don't tell them what's a horror movie, it's going to be good. But besides that, if you're looking at it like you've seen recent movies, the practical effects will hold up. But overall, the writing for me falls a little flat. So I wouldn't really recommend unless I'm like duping someone. Fair enough. I disagree. I would recommend the shit out of this movie. (laughs) I feel like it moved. You get into the ghost right away. The practical effects definitely hold up. The optical effects are a little dated, um, but that's the nature of optical effects. But I thought, yeah, I said it moves. It's got great acting. It's got great effects. And it just grabbed me the whole time. I had a huge smile on my face this whole movie. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure you're all wondering if I would recommend this. The answer is no. Um, I don't hate the movie. If someone specifically asked me, took me by the shoulders and shook me, what, what, mo- what horror movie should I watch? And I'd be like, well, have you seen Poltergeist? That's pretty all right. I just can't personally see myself uh, recommending it to anyone that I know. Because either you, you've seen it before or you've heard of it and are never going to get to it. Or you're like me and you don't really like scary movies. But I didn't not like this movie. I just didn't have a big smile on my face the whole time. It was more like somewhere between a, a grimace and like a like stoic, keep it together man sort of straight face. That's fair. I like horror movies and I like good filmmaking. So <laughs> this, this movie does do both. Give it that. Robbie, would you care to say if you would recommend it? <laughs> so, uh, yes, absolutely, I would recommend this. Um, it, it's a mixture of the fact that, it, in my opinion, it still holds up pretty well uh, visually. Um, the optical effects, which until today I thought actually was just really early CGI, which is why I gave them a pass. Um, act, they, they're not as horrible now that I realize that because there was a lot of work that went into it. But ultimately, the fact is, if you're going to try and recommend a horror movie to someone that's not too gory, that um, is kind of like, you know, I want to watch a Spielberg film. I want to watch that type of thing. I would recommend Poltergeist because it mixes the best of the action thriller with the horror genre while still keeping it to like a family affair. Like I could watch this with, you know, a nephew or a niece who was older than I was when I first watched it. But, you know, it, it's something where you can watch huh. it because there's not as much death, there's not as much sexual gratuity. It's just, it's suspenseful, it's scary, and then it has a happy ending where everyone comes out top. So ultimately, I would recommend this pretty much across the board. Happy ending. Nice. <laughs> I don't think everyone who stayed in the suburbia was pretty happy, though. <laughs> yeah, those neighbors need to GTFO. I'm pretty sure they all died at the end. There's a lot of explosions going on and fire. As an implosion. Honey, is the house is the neighbor's house gone? I think it is. <laughs> Why is that fire hydrant spewing fire? This is going to bring down the property value. Yes. Go back to Leno. So that was our discussion of Poltergeist from 1982. Great pick, Robbie. Next week is my pick, and fellas, next week we are going to be watching Being John Malkovich. Ooh. I have Anybody seen, seen that. that movie? I love that movie. It's a good I've one. I've seen it. <laughs> I, I feel like it. Robbie will have words to say. 
I've heard about it, and even though I haven't seen it, I was able to like snag a reference while I was playing the game. Seen it? I was like, ah, they're saying John Malkovich a lot. This is obviously being John Malkovich, and I got the point for it. So <laughs> that's my history with this movie. Excellent. I have, I have no idea what I'm in for. I have heard it, but I don't even remember the context of where I heard it from, so I am completely fresh. Good. Go in blind. It'll be more fun that way. That was our discussion. Thank you for joining us, everybody. Please follow us on all the social medias. For Facebook, you can follow us at 4FilmFellas, and on Instagram at 4FilmFellas. Thank you for joining us. Join us next week. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Bye.